welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Dave Stovall, your host, and we have been working our way through all the track sessions that happened at the National Disciple Making Forum last year. Today's episode is the second track session given to us by Concentric at the Forum, and it features Mike Harder and Doug Holliday, who gave a really interesting speech about Jesus taking the disciples on fishing trips. I know that sounds a little funny, but this episode does a great job of helping us see what Jesus was doing for his disciples by taking them on these, quote, mission trips to other places that have cultural differences. This is a really cool episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. This is Concentric, so let's jump in and hear from Mike and Doug. Here we go. My name is Mike Carter, and I am uh, a part of Concentric, the president of Concentric. Concentric is a global alliance of like-minded mission organizations that are all committed to doing leadership development, equipping uh, leaders in their respective countries in Jesus-centric disciple-making uh, methods and uh, strategy. Um, I, we have a couple of different people that are going to be presenting during the session. I'm going to do a, a little intro and then I'm going to turn it over to Doug uh, Holiday, who's uh, the president of Sun Life Ministry, uh, which is right here in, in, uh, in the States. And uh, he is a good friend. And um, uh, some of you might have heard of Dan Spader. Dan Spader was the founder of Sun Life, also of, of the organization that I lead, Concentric. Um, I, I want to start us out with just uh, uh, talk, talking about, you know, why, why we're here and going to a passage that we're all familiar uh, with in Matthew 28, if you want to turn there, uh, Matthew 28. Uh, this, uh, we call it the Great Commission um, in Sun Life. Often we'll talk about it being the Everyday Commission uh, because it's, it's not just great and lofty and out there, something that we're just aspiring to know it's something we're supposed to be living every day. It's the call that Jesus gave uh, to us as his followers in the church, and it's really the heart, the crux of why uh, we're here at uh, at this conference. And so, if you you go to Matthew 28, I know you're familiar with it, but I'm still going to open it up and I'm going to read it. Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end, or to the very end of the age. You know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, that this passage has this command to make disciples. To make disciples is the primary command, the first command in the passage, right? We're called to make disciples. Uh, one of the things we've got to ask ourselves is, well, if I'm supposed to make something, what is it that I'm supposed to make? Like, great, we're supposed to make disciples, but what is the disciple? How would you define a disciple? What is the disciple? Somebody who's prepared, confident, and skilled 
to live an abundant life in desert. Okay, it's a good definition. Other de definitions. So that, that and that could fit to anything. So we're um, so we're our, we're going to make disciples uh, who make tomato paste. So they're going to live that abundant life and making tomato paste, right? So what? Yeah, no. Specifically, kind of assuming we're here. Yeah, yeah. What well, we're talking about? Yeah. Yep. Um, other definitions or other ways you define it. I like that definition though. What's that? A follower of Jesus. Okay, very general follower of Jesus. Any other? That's good too. A student. Okay, a disciple's a student. It's one that follows after another, right? Any other? We have a different way of saying it too, which is uh, a follower of Christ. Let's take that into make sure we're not making tomatoes. <laughs> so uh, a Christian or a believer who understands why they're going to do what they're going to do, chooses to do it on their own, and faces the unknown with confidence. Okay. Okay. What were you going to say? I think you need to make them a duplicator and become a disciple maker. Okay. So, so we can, t I mean, it, what are we making disciples of? What is a disciple? We've defined it. But one of the things about it built into Jesus definition or the way that Jesus lived discipling, right? Because there are, in, I mean, if we go back to the, we go back to uh, the gospels, New Testament times, uh, there were a lot of different rabbis. There were a lot of different teachers that had disciples, right? They, there were people following after different disciples. In Jesus' model, obviously, it's about the gospel. He is the good news, right? So they're, they're preaching the good news. Um, and they're, fo they're following him. They're following the master who is the master with a big M, not little M, right? They're making disciples. And, and built into it is this idea of multiplication, making disciples who make disciples, being a disciple maker. The word disciple appears, I think in the NIV, I think it's 234 or 235 times, okay, that word is used. And the word disciple is a word that it means to follow after an, follow after another, okay? It's, it's a, the word Christian only appears a handful of times, a couple of times in the New Testament. But those words are synonymous, Christian, in disciple, okay. Now we've started to say we started to say this: that the call to be to be a Christian, okay, a, a maturing Christian is going to be a disciple of Jesus, right? And when we look at Jesus' definition or how Jesus lived, disciple, what he called his disciples to, it's disciple making. Okay, there's reproduction reproduction built into it. So when you look at the screen there, if you can see it, it's a little small, but You've got making disciples, one command. We've, just, we've defined, we've given some different definitions that are all similar to what a disciple is. There's, there are three action words that help us understand how we go about making disciples, what the process is. First, going. Jesus has the going, then he is baptized, and he has teaching, right? We're supposed to go, therefore, and make disciples. In the, in the going, we could say the going gives the idea of... Uh, going to the world, going to the lost, going to those that don't know Christ yet, that don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Maybe they haven't heard of him yet. So we go, then, then we baptize, okay? Uh, the, the Greek word that's used here is the word baptizo. 
And uh, it, it's a word that was used in uh, ancient Greek culture. If you, if, you, if you go outside of the scriptures to how that word was used in Greek culture, it was a word that was used to uh, denote or to talk about the dyeing of a garment. So you take a, you take a let's say, a piece of white fabric and you dip it into a vat of dye that's blue and you lift it up out, what color is it? It's blue. Your shirt. It's a, yeah, that's why I'm wearing a blue shirt. It always happens when I show this illustration, I'm wearing blue. I, I like blue. Uh, so it's, it's blue. It, it might not be as bright as this, but it's blue, okay? You, it's white, it's baptizo, you bring it up out, it's changed, it's transformed. It's now, it's now, it has new life, it's changed, it's a new color, it's blue, through and through. Any doubts that this is what I'm wearing is blue? Anybody want to call it white? Does it look white anymore? No, it was white before, but now it's blue. So there's the going, now there's the baptizing, or the baptizo, and, and, and we have that illustration, right, when we talk about somebody being baptized in our church where they go underwater, and they come up out of the water. They, we, we, we die to self and we come up a new creation, a new person. There's a new work, right? It's that, and baptism marks that, that initial identification that a person makes with saying, I'm new. I once was this way, but now I'm this way. I was once a disciple of, of whatever, of making tomato paste. Now I'm a disciple of Jesus. Now I'm following Jesus. And then there's a third part of the Great Commission that's there where it says, teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. And then it says, to obey everything I've commanded you. What has he commanded? What's the, what's the primary command in the passage? Make disciples, right? How do we make disciples? By going, by baptizing, and by, again, teaching to obey. And in Sun Life, and Doug will talk about this in a moment, but we talk about how in our ministries, we are, we're called to go. We're called to reach the lost. In the last session, we were talking about that group of people and Jesus making that challenge to us. The initial challenge he makes to people is come and see, find out who he is, and then repent and believe, and they come to faith in Christ. We're supposed to go and share the gospel. And then we're supposed to baptize them. We're supposed to baptize them in the faith. We're supposed to grow them in the faith. We're supposed to root them in the Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And then we teach them to obey everything we've that he's commanded us. What has he commanded us? To go to baptize. A Christian or a disciple is a disciple maker. That's, the call. That's Jesus' intent is that we would be people who go and we reach the lost. We build up believers, we baptize people in the faith, and then we equip them to do the same. We teach them to obey everything I commanded you, to make disciples who make disciples, to be disciple makers. So what we're in this session here talking about, though, is how cross-cultural experience makes better disciple makers in North America. Now, I was a local church pastor for for. 34 years. I've, I've done a lot of local missions type uh, ministries, service projects. I've done things that were national where I, when I, I was a youth pastor for 26 years of that time. And then I was a senior pastor and executive pastor in the inner city. Uh, we did service projects. We did local missions type experiences. We did 
things where we went to a, into the city or we went to another city to do ministry and then we went overseas. All those different trips had uh, different purposes, different things that happened on those trips, but they were all intended to, uh, at some level, to equip, to help people start to understand what it means to go to baptize, to teach, to help them become disciple makers. What I want, what Doug is going to do is he's going to come up and talk about this as far as how do we do this intentionally as a ministry? What's it look like as we take people through the process? And then he's going to hone in on ministry training, on the equipment, on the teaching them to obey. Doug, you all set? All right. So let me just reemphasize what Mike just said about this idea of Jesus call for us in terms of what a, what a disciple is and that disciples make disciples. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 40, uh, Jesus says that a student, same concept for disciple, when they are fully trained, will be like their teacher. So the disciple, when they're fully trained, are going to be like the one who discipled them. So that's not just that you know everything that they know. Uh, it, it goes beyond that. And so think about this. If you're going to be like the person who discipled you, and they discipled you, then the only way that you can be like them is if you, in turn, disciple someone else, right? Baked right into the idea of being a disciple is that you will make disciples. It is an oxymoron to have a non-reproducing disciple. Disciples make disciples. In fact, if you look at the Great Commission and what Jesus is saying there, I think we can better understand, better grasp what he's emphasizing as he's about to leave, you know, ascend back to the Father in heaven. If we were to translate it, now obviously this is not translating from the Greek. Right? This is the, uh, the amplified Doug version of the, of the Great Commission. But that you would go and uh, go and make disciples? No, let's say this. Go and make new disciple makers. Right? A, a better way for under, us to understand what Jesus is saying there is not just go and make disciples, but actually go and make new disciple makers. And that emphasis on new is, right, he's sending them out to the nations. I'm going to send you out to people who don't know me, and I want you to make those who don't know me into disciples of me. Right? So you're going to make new disciples, but... Again, the emphasis on disciple, it, it's not a fully trained disciple. It's not really a disciple if they don't get to the place where they actually themselves are making disciples. So what is Jesus saying? Hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to make new disciple makers. 
That's the emphasis of the Great Commission. Now, we lose that emphasis when we take that concept of making disciples and we create discipleship programs in the local church, in our, in our ministries, discipleship programs that are divorced from evangelism. Right? Because biblical discipleship begins and ends with evangelism. Right? Begins with evangelism from a standpoint of a person being reached for Christ, um, uh, to, uh, and then growing to the place where they then can reproduce and bring others into the faith who can grow to the place where they can reproduce, that they would be a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. So this is the emphasis of what Jesus is trying to produce and what, what we want to... <clears throat> help all of us to see here is if we're to take a deep dive into the ministry of Jesus, um, not looking at it from the lens of what it means to be a disciple, but what, from the lens of what it means to be a disciple-making leader. How did Jesus lead a ministry, create a movement of disciple-makers? And so uh, we've got what we call five phases of that movement. And so the first phase, and this is the first 30 years, 30 years, Jesus was about 30 years old when he was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, 30 years old when he began his uh, public ministry. There's very little that we see from the life of Jesus in terms of what's transpiring in those 30 years. Uh, only, uh, you know, the, there's the birth narrative, uh, there's the, the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus at the age of 12, and that's about it. But what we what we call that 30-year period is the preparation phase, right? <clears throat> the preparation phase is that time when the Father is preparing the Son for the ministry, that compacted three, three and a half year period, and everything that needs to transpire in there, and how the Father is preparing the Son for that. And so, looking at that, uh, you know, a few of the things that are are, are going on there, um, you know, there's there's the identity piece, and uh, Jesus, you know, in his humanity, understanding his identity that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, right? So there's that identity piece. There's the, the character piece, right? And we see, uh, you know, at the age of 12, um, Luke chapter 2, and Jesus, uh, you know, in the temple. What, what does it say at the end of that passage, Luke 2.52, that Jesus 
grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. And so there's this, there's this character development piece that is going on that even the Son of God was growing, right? And that can kind of blow our minds that Jesus had to grow. Yes, he was the sinless son of God, but there was growing, there was maturing, growing in wisdom, growing in favor with God. How do you grow in favor with God? By pleasing God. How do you please God? Through obedience. And each step of faith that Jesus was asked to take in obedience, in that step of obedience, he was growing, maturing in pleasing the Father. And so you have that identity, that character, and then, and then his calling and understanding his calling and, and uh, you know, tied in with the launch of that, with the, the, uh, the, the baptism and the ministry of John the Baptist and John preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. And so his calling being cemented and being launched into that. And so that's the first 30 years uh, leading up to what we see in uh, uh, John chapter 1, where Jesus' public ministry begins. And for the first, what we'll say is 18 to 21 months, he is in this phase of ministry where he is establishing foundations. He is, he is calling disciples to himself. He's investing in them. Uh, if we were to take Thomas and Gundry's Harmony of the Gospels, a chronological look with the blending of the four Gospels so we can see what happened in Jesus' ministry year one, year two, year three. Um, you know, the that phase, those 18 to 21 months, is just a handful of pages in the Gospels. Because primarily, what we're seeing here, we don't see much of these stories until we get to the fourth Gospel. Because... Matthew and Mark, the first time when we see Jesus interact with those who would be called his disciples is when he's standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of people. And so the, the, the typical reader will think, okay, well, that's Jesus' very first encounter with these disciples. And he, he dives into the deep end of the pool on his very first conversation. Leave your nets, leave it all behind, come and follow me. And, and there's, there's this sense of this, uh, intent, like, why would they do this? But it's not until you get to John's gospel that you realize, oh no, there's, there's all kinds of things that happened before that encounter. That wasn't the first time that they met Jesus. John chapter 1, we see that two of uh, John the Baptist's disciples, because John had a bunch of disciples, 
And John is pointing the way to Jesus. I'm, I'm not the Messiah. He, he is. Behold the Lamb of God. And so uh, John is, is pointing the way to Jesus. A couple of John's disciples come up to Jesus and say, um, hey, where are you staying? And Jesus says, well, well, hey, come and see. And he's not just inviting them to a location. He's inviting them into a relationship. Come and see who I am so that you can believe in me. Now, the reason why we know that is because one of those two disciples, his response to spending that, the rest of that day with Jesus, it's Andrew, Peter's brother, and he runs back to Peter, Simon, and says, hey, you've got to come and see. We have found the Messiah. So as a result of that conversation, Andrew's believed in Jesus. He's inviting his brother to, to come meet Jesus, believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And so, you know, then we, we get into John chapter 2, and we've got the, the wedding at Cana and, and, uh, and, and turning over the, the tables in the temple. You know, they go back to Jerusalem for the Passover and turn over the, the, the tables. And then in John chapter 3, the, the, the tail end of that Passover celebration, Jesus is still in Jerusalem with his newfound disciples. And by the way, we might tend to think, oh, it... If we're reading there in John, it's only a couple of the disciples. You know, it's, well, in, in John chapter 1, we see four named and then an, an unnamed fifth who would be John the author. Um, but, uh, you know, we see Andrew, Peter, uh, Philip, and Nathaniel all mentioned as beginning to follow Jesus at that time. But... We can see in Acts chapter 1, when they were selecting a replacement for Judas, one of the qualifications for that replacement was that it had to be someone who was with them from the time of Jesus' baptism. And so that tells us that all of the 12 had been with Jesus they probably had experienced the ministry of John the Baptist um, and, you know, at least, you know, curious onlookers to the ministry of Jesus from the very beginning stages, right? So, uh, but we see John chapter 3, the conversation with Nicodemus at the end of John chapter 3, John 3.22, it says that Jesus takes his disciples and they go out into the Judean countryside and he spends time with them. So we don't know how long that time is, uh, but he spends time with them and he's doing ministry and teaching and then is going to head back up to Galilee, but goes John chapter 4 through, uh, through Samaria on the way and you've got the ministry with the Samaritan woman shows up and uh, Luke chapter 4 and Jesus is doing this ministry tour all throughout <clears throat> the Galilee region with these followers and makes a stop in his hometown of Nazareth and uh, basically proclaims himself to be the Messiah. He's dragged up to the top of a hill. He's going to be thrown off. He relocates uh, at that point to Capernaum. 
And there in Capernaum, when he relocates, he calls these already disciples of his, who he's already invited and they are already following him, to that next level challenge of, follow me, I'm going to make you into fishers of people. And so all of that is happening in about 18 to 21 months. Uh, one of the things I love about the Harmony of the Gospels, they've got a whole uh, appendix sec section kind of giving us the timeline and understanding based on the Jewish feasts and the Passovers that we see in the Gospel of John and how these things line up in terms of how much time in each of these phases Jesus was investing. And so you've got this uh, ministry foundations phase where Jesus is inviting them to follow him. And then uh, beyond that, we enter into phase three, which is the ministry training phase, which essentially is where Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of people. Up to this point, you've been watching me do all of the ministry. You've been watching me do all the work. You know what? Uh, it's time to not just watch. It's time to not just observe. Now I'm going to engage you in the work. I'm going to make you, I'm going to train you, I'm going to equip you to fish for people. And so, uh, you know, we have a dotted line here between this third phase, the ministry training phase, and the fourth phase, which we'll call expanded outreach, because Jesus is not just going to give them book training. It's not just, come on, let's, let's sit around in the synagogue, let's open the scrolls, and let me teach you how to fish for people. No, uh, it is on-the-job training. You know, he is bringing them along, and, you know, we've identified, you know, what we call uh, six fishing trips, that immediately after Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of people, these six different events that, that transpire pretty quickly in that period of time where with different kinds of people, uh, in different settings, with different needs, and Jesus is showing his apprentice leaders how to fish for people. And more and more in that process, they're, they're seeing, they're experiencing on the job, uh, and they're beginning to put into practice the things that, that Jesus is teaching them. And so, you know, this combined here is only six to nine months before we get into the fifth phase, which is what we'll call leadership multiplication, which is the last 15 months of Jesus' ministry. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. 
The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. So that leadership multiplication phase. And so when we consider um, how Jesus is going to equip his disciple makers to become movement leaders, <coughs> um, how does he incorporate mission into that? Mission trips, cross-cultural experiences, right? I just mentioned that immediately after uh, calling them to be uh, fishers of men, you know, there were six fishing trips. Um, I'll... Uh, I'll give you these passages real quick. Um, they're all in the Gospel of Luke. Of course, uh, these stories you can find in other Gospels, but uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37, that would be the first fishing trip. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 38 to 41, a second fishing trip. So the first one, Jesus is, um, after he tells them they're going to be fishers of men, um, he goes right into their hometown synagogue there in Capernaum and, uh, and performs a healing. Um, and so um, then uh, after, after the service, after the church service, right? What do you, what do, you do after church service? Well, you got to eat. And so after, after service, they go back to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus does ministry in Peter's home. That's that second one, Luke uh, 4, 38 to 41. Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 11. That, that's, that's the story of Jesus uh, standing in the boat, teaching the crowd. His disciples are there. This is the second time where he challenges them that they're going to fish for people after the miraculous catch of fish. And Peter says, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, well, from now on, you're going to fish for people. And uh, says they, the first time Jesus told him, I'm going to make you fishers of people. It says that they left their nets and followed him. This second time, it says they left everything and followed him. And so you see there even that progression of commitment. And then Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 12 and 13 would be the fourth fishing trip. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, uh, the fifth fishing trip. And the sixth one, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. And that's... <clears throat> that's uh, that's with Levi, with, uh, with Matthew, and then the party at Matthew's house. Uh, and so you've got all of these ministry experiences that they're now engaged in with him. Um, 
but also during this period of time, there are four different ministry tours that Jesus brings them on, right? So uh, we see in Matthew chapter 4, in Mark chapter 1, in Luke chapter 4, you know, Jesus does this tour preaching, teaching, and healing uh, all around uh, all the, the towns and villages in, in, in Galilee. And so, um, but this happens here in this ministry foundations phase, right? He hasn't yet, at this point, called them to be fishers of people. He's on this ministry tour, preaching and teaching, exposing people to his message, uh, inviting them to believe in him as the Messiah, and he's gathering this band of disciples, and it's more than 12, right? He's, he selects from among the many, you know, the 12 who are going to be apostles, and so he's gathering uh, this, this group around him, but certainly the 12 are, are, are included in that crowd. But that first tour happens in that phase, phase two. Then the second tour that Jesus does, this is in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and Jesus has just called the 12. And so his second tour happens right at the beginning, um, branching from phase four into phase five. And uh, he uh, does a ministry tour with the 12 and the women disciples. So if you look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, you see all of these women who are a part of Jesus' ministry, and we, uh, uh, we particularly as men, looking around a room filled with men, uh, can look at Jesus' ministry and think that he was very much focused on investing in men. And yes, he was. And all of the 12 were all men. But there were women who were a very integral part of Jesus' ministry. And some of them are named there by name, just like we have the names of the 12 listed multiple times. We have the names of several of these women, and not only are they listed there in Luke chapter 8, but then we see at the cross, as the 12 scatter, and the only one of the 12 who is there at the cross with Jesus is who? John. Right? Jesus looks at John and says, behold your mother. Looks at his mother, behold your son. Um, but the women disciples are there. They are the first ones to the tomb, right? Um, they're the first one, uh, Mary Magdalene, the first one to experience, to encounter the risen Christ. So this integral part of Jesus' ministry. So that's the, the second ministry tour, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Then the third ministry tour is when Jesus sends out the 12, two by two. And so this is in... Uh, uh, um, Mark chapter 6, we see this. Luke chapter 6, uh, 9, verse 6, we see this. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 and 11, we see the sending out 
of the 12, two by two. And this happens here in this leadership multiplication phase. Um, and they're going out to all these towns, a lot of the places that Jesus has already preached because he's preached throughout Galilee and they're going back and they're doing follow-up ministry. And it's so amazing when you read it that you see that the, <clears throat> the 12 are going to be doing the exact kind of ministry that Jesus was doing. He tells them that they're, they are going to proclaim the good news, they're going to heal the sick, they're going to cast out demons, they're going to raise the dead. Jesus told them they were going to raise the dead. Does that blow your mind? And they, at that point, had seen Jesus raise a few people from, from the dead. And then, sometime after that, uh, just probably a few months before going to the cross, um, Jesus sends out the 72. This is Luke chapter 10. And it's important to, to see that it says 72 others. So th this isn't like the 12 plus 60. This is the 12 and then 72. And so the idea is, as Jesus has sent out the 12 and they've been doing ministry and this group has been growing, what has been their part now in helping to equip others and I would love to be a fly on the wall and see exactly what that looked like as Jesus sent out the 72 two by two. And what was, what was the responsibility of the 12 with that? You know, were, were they sent out to, to be doing some coaching and encouragement and to be there as all of these were sent out? So, all of these ministry tours, but then there's also mission trips. Think about what are some of the stories that we know from the gospel where Jesus takes his disciples on a cross-cultural experience. Through Samaria. Through Samaria. All right, so the Samaritans are half Jew, half Gentile. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as dogs. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. Jesus' Jewish disciples were wondering, Jesus, why are we even here? Why are we going through Samaria? Um, so, yes, great. Was, it, was that really a mission trip? Weren't they just kind of taking a shortcut? Well, when you when you when you when you look in John chapter four, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So I wasn't trying to derail you. Right, right. No, I mean, no. They still get a cross cultural experience. Right. But what I was going to say is that there was there was an intentionality that the Father had in having Jesus go through Samaria. Because Jews didn't traditionally. Right, right. The, the traditional route would be to go up the Jordan River, um, skip right past Samaria, not go through because Jews didn't want to want to have that interaction. And so, geographically, maybe a shortcut, but culturally, it was a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it was a, a cross-cultural experience. Now where, where that falls is here in this ministry foundations period. But what we do see is at the beginning of that passage in John chapter 4, it says there's this controversy between uh, Jesus' disciples and John's disciples, and John's disciples are frustrated because Jesus is baptizing more people than John is, and so there's this whole competition, controversy, who's going to baptize the most followers? And, but there's this little phrase that, but, but Jesus wasn't actually baptizing, it was his disciples. So even though Jesus was the one proclaiming the message, and they were trusting in Jesus as the Messiah at that point, he was already beginning to engage his, his disciples, his followers, in the work of baptizing these new followers. Um, and that is right before he's going to challenge them to be fishers of people. And that's actually the first time, John chapter 4, where we see Jesus address the harvest, right? Where uh, as he sees the, 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 the Samaritans coming from the, the village and they're coming toward Jesus' disciples and Jesus says, look, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Um, and so his first focus on the harvest happens there. It's interesting, every time that Jesus makes a mention of the harvest, he's about to engage his disciples in the work, right? Because that first time when uh, John chapter four, when he challenges, it's not long after that where he's gonna say, okay, now you're gonna be fishers of people. The next time when he challenges that, Matthew chapter nine, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Immediately after that, he lets them know, you are the answer to that prayer. I'm sending you out two by two. The next time he issues that challenge, Luke chapter 10, it's the 72 who are the answer to that prayer. The harvest is growing, and now he's sending out the 72, two by two. So each time Jesus addresses the harvest, he's going to engage them as the answer to that. It's kind of that. He's, he's giving them a vision for the harvest to engage them in harvest work. So, okay, so that's, that's one mission trip through Samaria, um, traveling through, uh, reach the Samaritan woman, uh, people from the village, they meet, they stay for a few extra days, right? Um, helping more to, to, to believe in, in him. You think of other cross-cultural mission experiences. The Gadarenes, yeah. engaged the one that was possessed by devils, and sent him to Decapolis. Yeah. That's more than pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. What region was that in? What region was that one in? Okay, so um, if you've got the, <clears throat> the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River kind of splits the Sea of Galilee in half. And so on one side of the Jordan River, um, it would be the, uh, the western side would be the Jewish side. And the eastern side would be the, 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 the pagan side, right? And so they crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, right? And so that's that's kind of the, the division. And so Galilee as a region 
doesn't surround the entire Jordan River. Galilee as a region is only on that Jewish side. You know, you've got Capernaum, you know, kind of up on the, the northern region there of, the, of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, so there around that side and then below that on the Sea of Galilee, you've got, you've got Samaria a little bit farther south. Is Gadarenes in Samaria? Gadarenes, no, is on the, so at the beginning of um, Mark chapter 5, um, and at the, <clears throat> the beginning of it, Jesus says to his disciples, um, let's go to the other side. And so literally, it's not just the other side of the lake, but it is a cultural shift because they're going from the Jewish side to the Gentile side. And raise pigs. Of the Sea of Galilee, yes. So you have the storm that happens on the Sea of Galilee as they're trying to get across. It's like uh, this this demonic force, because the demoniac was filled with two thousand, no, five thousand, eight thousand, uh, you know, demons enough to fill the herd of two thousand pigs. Um, but amazing, that mission trip was very short term, right? Because they went over, were there for a few hours, and then turned around, got back in the boat, and came back. Um, but where that fits in this process is it's, it's early on. Jesus has already called the 12, but he's not yet sent them out two by two at that point. So uh, he is still equipping them in gospel ministry. But strategically, you think about it, um, that demoniac wanted to get back in the boat and go back with Jesus. Jesus said, no, I want you to go back to your home, go back to your, your, your city, your village, and tell what I've done for you. And it says that he went all throughout the Decapolis telling them. And it's fascinating, you fast forward when Jesus performs the miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, that's where it happens. And how did all of those crowds find out about Jesus to want to come and hear this itinerant Jewish preacher. Who asked him to leave before. <laughs> you, have to, you have to wonder, how much did the impact of that demoniac's changed life um, influence all of those people wanting to come for Jesus' ministry? Wanting to be delivered from, from the demons that they had, wanting to be healed, uh, says Jesus was doing all kinds of ministry at that point. And uh, that actually would be another one of those mission trips when Jesus goes back. There's, there is one in between those where uh, Jesus um, actually leaves Israel. It's one of the few times in his, in his ministry where you actually see him cross the border and leave the country. And it's when he goes up to Tyre and Sidon. So... And uh, so it's probably 70, 80, 90 miles north 
of the Sea of Galilee um, and another <clears throat> um, mission experience and um, again very small slice of ministry that's going on there um, where there's just one thing that the Gospels say you know the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter um, being delivered and I think a, a large part of why Jesus even wanted to go there, it was a mission trip, but it was also slash a, a retreat to get away. To get away from the crowds around Galilee. Um, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He did that right after finding out that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded. And so this intense time of ministry and grieving and, uh, you know, before feeding the 5,000, Jesus wanted to get away with the disciples, but, but uh, um, he, he, he tells the 12, they've just returned from being sent out two by two, and he said, you've been so busy, you, you haven't had any rest, you haven't even had time to eat. Let's get away, let's get in the boat, let's go to the other side. Uh, and as, as they go, the crowd follows them along the shore, he, he feeds the 5,000, but there's still that need, and so... Um, you know, heading up to, to Tyre and Sidon. And then <clears throat> the, uh, the last kind of cross-cultural mission experience that we see is when he sends out the, the 12, I mean the 72, this is Luke chapter 10, he's going to send them to all of the towns and villages that he's going to go to. And so, yes, that does incorporate Jerusalem, but it's also uh, coming down through Samaria once again. Uh, to do more ministry and bring the disciples with him. And it's amazing because you see at this point that they, they still don't get it. Right? Jesus is trying to expose their hearts that, that the, the gospel is not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile, opening up their eyes to, to others, preparing them to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He's trying to prepare their hearts for all nations. And as they come into a Samaritan village at that point, and uh, the village doesn't welcome them, and what, uh, James and John want to call down fire from heaven like Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy the village because they won't welcome them. Um, and so, she so look at all of these cross-cultural experiences and how they fall in Jesus' ministry, they increase as his ministry moves toward multiplication. Because he is preparing them to launch them out. And there are things that have to happen in their heart that he wants to use these experiences to do. And also, there's training and equipping that he is doing with them to, to reach the lost and to make disciples that he is wanting to use these experiences to strengthen that equipping effort. So that's, um, that's like a fire hydrant of, uh, so of these all, phases. Not, not all of these followers became disciples then. Did he send the 72 to the back of those followers that he had created to 
you know, I wish we knew who the 72 were and what happened with them. But I have to believe that a similar equipping would have been happening with them to prepare them that was happening with the 12 to prepare them to send them out two by two. And so as I fast forward and I think, well, who might have been among those 72? And I, well, there were, there were two who they were choosing from to take Judas's place. And I think, well, man, those two guys must have been among the 72. Why would you ask someone to be, uh, you know, among this leadership group if they hadn't had that kind of training experience? And then you get to, you, uh, right, Acts chapter 1, when they're, they're selecting um, from Matthias and forget the other name. So, um, or even fast forward to um, Acts 6, and, and they're, they're selecting deacons. And I think, were these deacons? part of the 72 that had had that kind so that they could be proven as ministry leaders as disciple makers before being put in the kind of leadership position that they were put in i even wonder were some of those women who are listed in luke chapter 8 were they a part of the 72 who were sent out two by two so you think I'm a, Nicodemus had anything to do with that from the Jewish side of things? He wasn't a disciple, and uh, Jesus didn't call him. Do you think he had influence in what Jesus was all about to others? Well, we see Nicodemus show up only a, only a few times, um, and uh, you know, I I think Nicodemus is st he's still a part of the the ruling elders. Um, we see him have some conflict with them over, over, over Jesus and challenging them when they, you know, and he says, do we convict anyone without, without a hearing? Um, and then, you know, he is one who comes to take Jesus' body and bury him. And I would imagine at that point that Nicodemus is full on. But before that, he's clearly still among those those ruling elders so but i need to flip it over to mike and he's gonna um just gonna wrap it up tie so some of this in i think we're done in a couple so so tomorrow we want to talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts like how do we apply jesus strategy how do we apply what he did in mission trips and fishing trips and taking his disciples to a cross-cultural context how do we apply those principles to what we do when it comes to uh, local missions, uh, global missions trips? So we'll talk about that in our sessions tomorrow. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is that if you want to dive deeper into what uh, Doug has been talking about here with the five phases, then you can you talk to Doug afterwards about Sun Life's uh, training, their strategy seminar, their four chair discipling, um, some fantastic uh, practical training that helps uh, transfer these principles uh, to home. So tomorrow we'll talk more about our mission trips and how we train our disciples, the people in our church, whether you're a high school pastor, 
college pastor, volunteer? How do we use the trips that God uh, gives us the opportunity to use? And, uh, and we'll go beyond that. So thanks. Well, there you have it. That was Concentric at the National Disciple Making Forum last year. Hope that you enjoyed that episode. Hey, if you are liking what you're hearing, I want to ask you to do two things. Number one, I'd love to ask you to hit subscribe on this podcast. And number two, I want to ask you to go over to discipleship.org slash collective and create your free account so you can start watching webinars much like this one live in action online. So go do that. All right. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.